Help, Lord. Help, Lord. We love you, Lord. Help, Lord. You're the best. Amen. That was so nice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for November 2022. I'm your host, Jonathan Butcher, and I'm joined once again by the most famous fisherman in Kansas City, Missouri, Tim Nelson. Hey, John, good to be here. Yes, that's true. I am the most famous in Kansas City, Missouri. Right, you are. You said you were going to film some videos. Have you actually, have you completed something that our listeners could watch, or are you still in process here? I don't know if we want to use that. The completed word. <laughs> I have raw footage, lots of raw footage. There's some fish being caught in the footage. Okay, so you had don't you don't have a complete like edited a video library. Yet. I don't have a complete yeah. edited library with music in the background that I've paid for, and it's not at the quality of what you do and produce here at Cinema Faith. But you're hoping to someday like be at like on YouTube, right? And our listeners could check it out. That'd be exciting. I don't know for someone maybe. <laughs> For me. I think it, hey, you're you got a great personality and I loved when you're out there, you're in your element. So I think people would really enjoy it. Keep going, oh, Tim. I'm well, excited. Thanks, man. That's encouraging. Yeah, sometimes people uh sometimes when it's too cold to catch a fish, you can watch someone else catch a fish or yourself. Exactly. It's snowing today here in Milwaukee, what? Wisconsin. Is it it's not by you, I take it? It already did, and then it's melting right now. So in the winter, do you still have spots where you can do your thing with the fishing? Yeah, because we, we have spring creeks because the water comes out from the side of the ground. Okay. Yeah. Well, so good. it gushes out and becomes living water. So this can be a year-round thing for you still. That's so exciting. I can do it. It's a little colder, and but it, the crowds are zero. But yeah, yeah right. Fun. Awesome. Well, last time we talked about Halloween and scary movies, but now it's November Ooh. and Thanksgiving is next week, believe it or not, which is absolutely nuts. So we should yeah. probably talk about Thanksgiving movies, uh, which are a lot rarer than scary movies. Honestly, yeah. only one Thanksgiving movie comes to mind when I even think about it. I know there's like that Charlie Brown turkey something that everyone wants. I, I've never seen that. But <laughs> there's some, always some Charlie Brown thing for everything. That's some real trash that you're talking about there, John. <laughs> but no, no, no. It's there's, trash. <laughs> there's only one true Thanksgiving movie my mind can you guess what it is planes trains and automobiles that's it i mean what else is uh, there is there another one? About I can't think of another one i'm sure there's some muppet garbage that you're going to try to shovel down our throat <laughs> the muppet Remember, thanksgiving i think in beethoven he grabs a hold of the thanksgiving turkey but uh no in i think that planes trains and automobiles is the true thanksgiving movie i try to watch it every year it's a classic we've talked about it before you love that movie right i do i do love it so here's what people do regular people that are not us most of the world or most of the united states the world doesn't do this at all watches football games on That's thanksgiving true. there's like we, three they watch games. a whole bunch of football games we watch these finely tuned athletes what and then we eat a whole lot of food and talk about well in my day i could have blah 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 <laughs> yeah. guess what we do but then in my family it seems like when those football games are kind of through or when they're in a break that we we watch weird and this is on my wife's side we watch 
like stupid movies. I think this is maybe the weekend when I first watched Hobo with a Shotgun. <laughs> like, Whoa! Absolutely terrible movies. I've only heard about that movie. Is it? <laughs> it's don't. That's good. I've heard legends <laughs> of it. <laughs> you don't watch that movie. We don't even let the listeners know that I've watched it. Possibly, but uh-huh. um, no, no. It's it's the time where you sample with your father-in-law all the weird movies that the world has to offer. You don't think he would be a plane trains and automobiles fan? Have you, I'm have you guys sure he'd it like again? it. Yeah, it's good. It makes me sad. It's John Candy. Yeah, John Candy. And he's so sweet in that movie. And I love that scene, you know, where he uh, just lays into Steve Martin in the, you know, the most like uh, kindest way. He's just like, I like me. And, uh, you know, yeah, John Candy. And then there's other folks who view uh, Thanksgiving as the, it's like the starting gate for Christmas. And so mm-hmm. they skip, they just go straight to Christmas movies. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I do want to start earlier this year because I started Christmas movies a little late in the game last year. And I remember being like, you should probably start in November because you just couldn't cram them all in. So I do think starting early is OK. But Do you think we we need to take a stance on these Hallmark movies at all? As oh, a yeah. Cinema Faith. OK, so let's talk. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Them and the Charlie Brown are trash. Yeah, so yeah. these Hallmark movies, I saw Lindsay Lohan, who's a real actress in one recently. Real actress? Okay. No, she is. She's okay. a good actress. Name one thing she was good in. One movie. Mean Girls? Maybe. Yeah, she, she's fantastic in Mean Girls. A what more do you want from her? I believe that she was a mean girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lindsay Lohan and the entire cast of Full House in these Hallmark movies. Yes. yes. Now, look, you just grouped the wrong group. You group people together that don't need to be grouped together because Lindsay Lohan is a real actress. Anyway, the point being, is there anything we can possibly say about these movies that has not been said already? I mean, look, if it makes people happy, I'm not going to, like, you know, down it, say that it should be banned from the universe. I'm just not participating, and I never have, and I never will. That's my stance. But, hey, I know a lot of people look forward to it, and that's okay. These are hard times, Tim, and it's whatever like makes grinds. people happy. Some people love them, but right. you're still eating pig skins. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Do you know that's that how I, I feel made, about these movies. I'm on this weird diet. I made puppy chow out of pork rinds instead Good. of chugs. Gravy, man. Pork rind. <laughs> Good it gravy, actually, man. you could not tell the difference. I'm serious. You're eating a sweet, you're eating like sweetened pork rinds. <laughs> yeah. Gravy, anyway. Man. Gravy. Yeah. Hallmark movies, Lindsay Lohan. Wow, we've really covered it. Great. You know what the ironic thing is, is that Thanksgiving is actually going to be over by the time everyone's hearing this podcast. So what we just talked about is completely pointless. But... I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I hope <laughs> that you watched your football and got um, at least one Hallmark movie in. That would be nice. Nobody eats one pork rind. Nobody watches one of those Hallmark <laughs> movies. Okay? <laughs> it's like, it's an addictive thing. There's never just one groom. There's always two. True. True. <laughs> okay? okay. That's, you it's just sound how it like is. you've watched quite a few of these, Tim. Yeah, the formula ain't complicated. We should be writing these things. Christmas is going to save your crappy business of cookie decorating, John. Uh-huh. And the recently <laughs> widowed father of two. Exactly. And yeah. it's going to change our lives forever when we marry this one guy, even though it doesn't seem to... It goes against our hotshot career in the city. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're going to turn our back on the crooked ad agency for lawyers who are following ambulances. And we're going to decorate cookies, and by some miracle, we're going to get the guy who has a failed business. And because we get that guy, 
it'll be more successful than we would have been if we stayed in that evil big city. Yeah. And then your heart is warmed and everyone just feels so good. Oh, golden retrievers it. everywhere. <laughs> just golden retrievers. <laughs> All right, Tim. Well, what else have you been watching besides Hallmark movies? Is there anything that like, you know, has really grabbed your attention lately? It's time for what have we been watching? Oh, no. I didn't prep for this section like it <laughs> like I ever like do. you never did. <laughs> You know what? I watched, in preparation for this movie, I watched a couple of the other movies. Martin McDonough movies? Yeah, from the same director, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. And that was good. Now they're all like a big slurry in my head because the actors are almost the same. <laughs> right. Probably you watched In Bruges, right? Uh-huh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. What was the other one? Three Billboards? Did you watch that again? No, I didn't watch Three Billboards again, but I did watch uh, The Seven Psychos. Seven Psychopaths. Psycho- yeah, Pass. I've seen that. I remember thinking it was good, not great, somewhere, somewhere, both of those, in Bruce too, somewhere in the B range, kind of like a little overdone, a mm. little overcooked, but interesting, engaging, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought in Bruce, I think that was good. Mm-hmm. It's, they're, they're really like, have us going all over the place, as far as like emotionally, they're all over the place. So it's like, yeah. you laugh in one minute, the next moment you're crying the next moment you're contemplating the nature of the universe and your own sinful behavior or your own loving behavior it's just they're just very everywhere they're everywhere yeah did you like i mean would you say as you went back and revisited them that you were a fan of those movies yeah i liked it i thought seven psychopaths was just hilarious because of all its internal reference He's like, why, do, why doesn't anyone ever end their movie with a bunch of guys talking about things instead of a shootout? They're oh, like, oh. Yeah. It was very <laughs> meta, right? I totally forgot right. about it's that. It's totally meta. Yeah. They're like, nobody would do that. And then they're like talking about how to end the movie in the movie when they need, when the ending is going to have to happen. Uh-huh. And then all of the psychopaths are, sound like a child, like a teenage boy made them all up. Anyway, I kind of think it's the best. Yeah. Well, we were going to talk about that later, so I'm glad we covered it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, it's you know the the dude has had an interesting career. He has been all over the place emotionally, tonally. So uh, so good. I'm glad you're able to revisit those. So I has been a while since I talked about TV. So I guess I'm due. People, you know, come tune in just for that. So we got to give the people what they want. Uh, been watching a little HBO. Tim. Been watching a little House of the Dragon. The, uh, of course, the the sequel to Game of Thrones. You know, it's the new Game of Thrones series. Oh. Yes, yes. Game of Thrones, after ending terribly and disappointing the whole world, uh, they have started up a new version of the show called The House of the Dragon, which is pretty darn good. Uh, you know, HBO, this is the thing. They're really, really good at starting shows. Like, they always seem to pull together the right cast, the right arc. They get you pumped. Most season one HBO shows are like, yes, we are in. This is going to be great. The problem with HBO is they sometimes, often in lately, have a hard time finishing shows. So, of course, the last season of Game of Thrones was a disaster. And then I was really upset because there was a show I was into called called Westworld and they just decided to cancel it and so like they were up to season four yeah it is a little bit like dwindling in quality but still very very watchable and the creators of that show were like we're gonna come back for one more season one more season we're gonna tie the whole thing up with a nice pretty bow the end HBO cancels it before they can do one final season all right I feel conflicted here because last time you were saying we should be like the British and we should I know. cancel these shows. Cancel. I, know. I just think there's a happy medium. Like, with my opinion, I think the British sometimes 
cut it too short. Like I feel, you know, they're like season two, we're done. I feel like no show should ever go past like season five, in my opinion. But I feel like sometimes if you let a show breathe a little bit, somewhere around two, three, season two or three or four, you get to that magic sweet spot and then you wrap it up in five. I think five seasons is perfect for a show. Hmm. So I was just disappointed. And what's really disappointing about it is that HBO like said it had nothing to do with money. It had to do with ratings. So the ratings were dwindling on Westworld. But here's the thing. With, they're just so short sighted. Have everything to do with money? Well, it probably <laughs> is money. No one's because- watching this. <laughs> Joe, right, um, right. That is actually yeah. a money problem, right? But see, the thing is, is I think it's short-sighted because what HBO should be realizing is that you are making content for the future. You are making, if you end a show well, if you bring it to an appropriate conclusion that wows people, like Breaking Bad, for instance, people will be watching that show for a hundred years. Like in and and as compared to West or Game of Thrones, which like the last season is so bad that who can possibly recommend that show? People are like, yeah, yeah, yeah it starts off good, but. It ends terribly. Who's going to want to start that journey, right? So I'm just saying that if you start a show well and end a show well, then that will last forever. And so I think it's extremely short-sighted to cut a show based on ratings. That's an interesting argument, actually. You're saying that if you land the plane, people will want to watch it over and over again. Even if no one watches it in that final season, you've got two viewers. Who cares? In you know 50 mm. years... It'll catch up. Word of mouth. That was such a great show. Timeless. Yeah. So I just think it's That'd a terrible decision. to run the numbers on that, too, because I always think about how like Arrested Development, if they had properly ended that show, it would be much more satisfying. Yes. Agreed. <sighs> uh, anyway. So mm. there's my take. And then I'm also started the second to last season of Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, which is still good. And Hulu, as compared to HBO, has promised one more final season to wrap the whole thing up. So I, that's how you do it, man. You just let them end it. So I hope that, that they do. And HBO could learn a few things from, from Hulu. All right. Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Tim, we're not here to talk about TV. We're here to talk about a movie, and it's a movie I'm excited to talk about, actually, because there's a lot to talk about. And it's also the hardest title to spell in the history of film, I think. It's called The Banshees of Inishirin. 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 We have to talk at, hey, The Banshees of Inishirin. I'm offending all the Irish. It doesn't it be roll the Irish, off. The I don't tongue. know. I've talked about the movie to a few people, and every time I had to look up how to spell that, the Banshees of Anishirin. Inish- I wonder if the studio pushed back even slightly. It's like, are you sure? Are you sure? I think it's funny because once again there was an internal reference to it. Oh yeah, says, there are no Banshees in Inishirin. First <laughs> off, there's no Inishirin in 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 Ireland uh-huh. <laughs> in real life, right? It's right. supposed to be a place. I forgot what Innis means. Something. It's like a geographical feature, and apparently. In the movie, there are no banshees there either. Those are for like the high, like that's somewhere else. That's more, you know, they don't have a tradition of them. So he said he did it for the reduplication of the sound. But sure. the banshees, I did, I did like research that banshees are supposed About to be banshees? like, yeah, they're supposed to be like this mythical figure that either when someone dies, they kind of like wail and lament the death, or mm. they sometimes predict. Uh, a death that's coming. They're kind of like, that's what banshees are. So the, the banshees, banshees of in which is like this fictional island off the coast of Ireland. That is the meaning of the title. So keep that in mind. But yeah. Is an Innis maybe like an island? I don't know. I don't know my Celtic words. 
<laughs> but anyway, that's the movie we're going to talk about. So let's first talk about. Can you our, say it real quick three times? The Banshees of Inisherin. The Banshees. Of, yeah, it's terrible, dude. <laughs> All right, that's okay. Know. You're saying first you want to do what? Our theater experiences. Because I got to tell you, Tim, I went to see this, and it really rejuvenated my love for movies. There was just something magical about seeing this film in the theater. I like picked out my seat, got there, and. I watched all these freaking trailers that looked so good. Like every single movie before this, I want to see. Like it was like, because we're in Oscar season. This is it. This is the time where like the studios are just throwing their pearls at us. And it's like, yes, please. And so it was just before really magical. a swine. Before a swine. I know I was thinking about that halfway through. It's like, we're I'm mixing a metaphor here. I love it, man. We're the swine yeah. of the movie industry. We're the swine. That's right. We're like, we'll eat whatever they throw us. <laughs> So it was nice. It was just nice to settle in, watch a great movie, and see some trailers for great movies. And it just feels like, yeah, movies are back. That's what it felt like to me. Movies are back. How did you feel? Well, how was it going? You said you went to a, an interesting theater. I found a little indie theater. It was a little bit too high. It had too much Star Wars stuff inside of it. That's oh. the only thing I would say badly. But it was this little theater, and I hadn't been in a theater like this since I lived in Los Angeles, which is... How many screens can we cram into our property Hmm. and then we can show more movies versus how big a screen can we put in here and how many people can we seat? It was a very different model. They had two employees working there. The theater I was in must have had 40 or 45 seats total. Wow. That's super Los Angeles. Yeah. And I I don't know about New York. I hadn't gone to any small movie theaters in New York. So there's like a million of these. I don't know. It was this tiny storefront and it had a zillion theaters, but they're all tiny with 40 seats in them. Wow. And that was so cool because I hadn't in in Pasadena, there's a, there's two theaters like that and I hadn't been in anything like that since. And it was just refreshing. There was three people in the whole showing. Love that. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I dropped my phone and I felt (laughs) bad for the first time in a long time. It went whack, 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 whack. Oh no. And, uh, was in the middle of the movie. Yeah, in the middle of the movie. Yeah. And I felt bad. I, it was an accident. I just put it on my you know, lap order. I felt bad because I was like, these people are the real deal. These aren't like just some jerks on a date. <laughs> <laughs> Making out. These are like right. the real this film goers. Right, like, uh, yeah, these are film goers. They're, you know, they're the true weirdos, which I, you know, they're our brand of weirdos. They're our people. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I felt bad, but I didn't say anything because that would make it worse. Yeah. No, I love that though. I had a decision to make before mine because I had two options. I could go to an earlier showtime, which was more convenient, but it was crowded and I would have been off to the left or I go to one with my perfect seat at a later showtime and I opted for the latter option and I was there were only two people in there, me and this other dude. I'm like, I made the right decision. Thank you. Yeah, yes. that's cool. Absolutely. So yeah, it was. I'm glad. I want to check out that theater when I come visit next summer. We should like. We should go. We should try to figure out how to do some sort of like live something from there. Wouldn't that be fun? Like or something yeah, like I can footage. Talk to him. Yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be like we're from Cinema Faith, and like I don't know. It'd be cool. You know, they have a lot of like cutouts R two D two and stuff there. Do they really? <laughs> what is with the Star Wars obsession? That's crazy. There's just a lot. There's a lot of everything. It's a lot of good movies and stuff. But they're uh, they, for some reason they must have gotten. I think there's just a lot of Star Wars cutouts out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember there was a cutout for every. You know, if you had a big 
pallet of Pepsi, you get a cutout. Yeah, <laughs> you know, back right. In the when day. I worked at a movie theater, we had cutouts of all sorts of like, yeah, famous characters, and um, yeah, it was a big deal. And people bought them a lot. Like there were, it was it was actually a booming business, and they were like forty bucks each. So it was a good it was good money for the theater. Yeah, yeah. very cool. So anyway, yeah, we'll we'll check it out. We'll check it out. But yeah, it's just good to be back back at the movies get to go to the theater watch great movies again i mean like i do i i think we're kind of entering into the best of both worlds because like these movies are going to be coming on the theaters we'll be able to go when we want to but also the streaming window has condensed because of the pandemic so i feel like you know like banshees is probably going to be streaming in like two weeks and but like how they do it is on amazon you can they call it like an early look and so you pay like 20 bucks for it which seems pricey when you are you know streaming but at the same time if you think about a theater ticket i i paid fourteen dollars for my ticket to go to the theater and then like you know whatever gas plus a food if you want it so i feel like twenty dollars to take in a movie at home like two weeks after it comes out in the theater is not a bad option but but it is a sin you should go to the theater yeah you should go to the theater. <laughs> but but <laughs> during oscar season like for those of us who have to like who want to see all the great movies and want to cover all the movies and write about them going to the theater 40 times is very uh taxing are so. you are you saying that film is too inconvenient for you <laughs> sometimes during oscar season i get real sick of it but you should um, go watch lawrence of arabia on your phone right now John. you know we watched half of that and then we never watched the second half i was at your house before you left milwaukee and we 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 stopped at the intermission and we never we never picked it up again well i think i fell asleep oh you fell asleep we had a steak the size of your head and then we had pumpkin <laughs> pie and you fell asleep <laughs> in 25 minutes <laughs> it's a good film it's it's isn't we don't we say it's steven spielberg's favorite i think yeah 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 it is you can see spielberg what well, all the things he stole from it but it's a great movie great movie from the first mm-hmm. half i saw all right so tim here we go we're here to talk about let me check my notes again Oh yeah, the banshees of Inishirin. Do you you become our like plot expert? So I'm going to defer to you. How would you describe this movie to my mother? <sighs> it's just don't watch it, <laughs> don't Mrs. Butrin. Don't watch this. It's too upsetting. <laughs> yeah. No, really. How? What, what? What is the? How would you frame the plot of this? Go ahead. All right. There are two great friends. We're in Ireland. It's 1923, I believe, which is in the middle of the Irish Civil War. We're in the little island town of Inishirin, and there are several characters in this. But the two main characters are two friends who are drinking buddies. They have a difference in age. One is played by Gleason, and the other one is played by, why am I forgetting his name? Colin Farrell. Farrell. Yeah, Brendan Gleason plays Calm, and then Colin Farrell plays Padrick. Padrick. I guess it's Patrick or something. I don't know how it works. So in any case, one day... Podrick goes to see uh, Brennan Gleason or whatever is calm. I can't get the. I'm working. I'm struggling with these. Anyway, weird names. He goes to see him to go say, "Hey, let's go get a pint at the pub like we do every afternoon." And to his surprise, he's completely ignored by his best friend in the world. Quickly, he finds out that his best friend has grown tired of him. He finds him to be a dull person and that he's decided he doesn't want to spend the remainder of his life, which is maybe possibly only a few years talking with him every afternoon about inane subjects. 
And so instead, he chooses to tell him that he cannot be his friend anymore and that he's going to spend his time composing fiddle tunes and writing the music down so that he can be remembered long after his death. And even asks him to please not talk to me anymore. Like, please just... Don't talk where it's over. So without his consent, the friendship is over. And he said, have I done anything? No, you're just the same person you were. You're a doll. I don't want to hear about your donkey poop. And he's like, no, it's my pony poop. Anyway... So uh, the problem is, is that Patrick can't leave him alone because he really loves him. He cares for him. And so the Brennan Gleason character ends up having to uh, threatening him. He says, if you come here, I'm going to start. I'm going to cut my fingers off. And these are his fiddle playing fingers. Yeah. He said, I'm going to cut one finger off every time you talk to me. And he eventually yeah. he does. Oh, we can't. That's okay. Eventually he doesn't do that. Exactly. <laughs> Things happen with his fingers. We will not spoil everything. But yes, that's exactly right. And so there's that threat. And and you would think that would deter most people. But Patrick so values this relationship. He can't stay mm-hmm. away. And then it keeps escalating and escalating. And really, the movie kind of becomes this sort of metaphor for like division. Just kind of, I feel like the divisions among all of us and friendships and romance, because there's other subplots about that too. And then in the background, you've got yeah, this civil war that's just like taking place right which is interesting civil war right like that that's not unintentional and so yeah it just feels like it's kind of like how everything that divides us and what we do about it that's the plot good job thank you tim it's perfect banshees is written and directed by martin mcdonough and we did talk already about a couple of his movies we talked about in bruges which also has colin farrell and brendan gleason and ray fines uh, who plays this kind of like murderous dude who's trying to hunt them down and then we talked about seven psychopaths and then we there's three billboards outside ebbing missouri which i remember us seeing and both not liking, if I'm not mistaken, right? Does, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I don't think we liked it. Right. Which is weird because that movie won Best Picture that year. I mean, like, it went all really? the way. Yes, it did. That's a reminder that Three Billboards won Best Picture. And so I don't know if we were just missing something. I've not seen it again because I just did not like the film. But there mm. was. Yeah. I remember it being well acted. Francis McDormand was great in it. You know, you had Sam Rockwell and all that. But like, I just, I thought the movie itself was kind of pointless and ugly and just not worth my time. It could just be this, the themes he deals with. Mm-hmm. nihilistic themes very dark themes yeah and that mm-hmm. movie especially so yeah i mean like going into this i wasn't a huge fan of his work prior to it but i probably should have done what you did and just kind of rewatched them and maybe my opinion would have changed but what i do have to say is that this movie i was very pleasantly surprised him i uh. yes because this movie feels very different to compared to his other work there's kind of like a now, I know it takes a dark turn, but I do feel like there's a gentleness here, more of like it's more quiet, a little less. You think about In Bruges, you think about Seven Psychopaths, it's very in your face, very Tarantino-ish kind of like just, you know, ramping up this, this, and this. And this movie felt like he kind of let it breathe a little more than anything I've seen him done in the past. And I, I just thought it was like a little more of a classical take, and I was really digging it. What are your thoughts on his approach to the writing and directing in this one take it away i think that the sense of place is key to all all of the things he does and so i think you really get a good establishment of where we are which this place is an inconsequential place where nobody is remembered 
And the real stuff that's going to be remembered is happening far off. Yeah. That's so interesting because you can like see this this really consequential war like just happening in the background and they mm-hmm. sort of walk by it and pause every now and then. But we're stuck on this island. And I think that's good because it, it limits everything because there's like one place to go. There's three settings, right? It's almost like a play. And I know this guy's written a ton of plays. It's also interesting. His, his brother wrote Calvary and some other other works as well. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but yeah, I love Calvary. I know. I didn't know it either. Yeah. yeah so it's his brother. Okay. About that gotcha. one. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. these Irish guys stick together, apparently. Look at that. I know. Cool, huh? Great Brendan Gleeson performance in Calvary. Great movie. Oh, so good. Anyway, so I thought I thought it was good. I, I think it's the sense of place. I think that we know where we're going to go. We're either going to go to one of the characters' houses or the pub. Mm-hmm. Maybe church. And that's the world. And that's the world for a lot of places, which is your house, your your good friend's house, the pub, and church. And that's it. I found it kind of... It warmed my heart, like the simplicity of it. And especially in the beginning, the setting was gorgeous. Just that opening shot mm-hmm. of Colin Farrell walking around. I'm like, I want to go there right now. Like the the lake, the hills, the sunshine. Like it was so breathtaking, the scenery in the, in the beginning. Do you agree? Just like transplant yeah. me there with the donkeys, please. What did you think about? The, so, I, you know, I'm a first scene guy. Yeah. The establishing shot for that first scene is the rock walls for the fields and it's also the ending shot too and like he pulls back and so what did, what does that mean to you i was i was curious because i actually thought about that for your first scene guy and i was like what does oh. Tim think about this i know it's about division between neighbors oh so, yeah that's so good and the, the thing is they're ancient right and they hide behind them so the walls are what define that whole everything's defined by the walls the houses are built into those hedgerow walls or not hedgerows but they're they're rock walls for the sheep for the everything is rocks because they don't have any trees their houses are rocks and so everything is these ancient boundaries that are dividing everything and so even from the first shot it's like here's the ancient boundaries we're not even sure why but here they are i guess they're beautiful but they're also like you know the landscape is like these just these these boundaries of these field stones. That's good, man. That's it. That's totally it. Yeah. And then you go right from that to Colin Farrell walking through this beautiful island countryside. And then he goes to the house and there goes the inciting incident. And right from there, boom, we're in, we're in the journey. So you know what I thought also was interesting speaking of the setting was that it felt like you start off at the beginning with this like really beautiful, expansive thing. And then it feels like in a very subtle way, the island gets more kind of claustrophobic. Like I felt like by the end, it was not a place I wanted to go. Like I felt kind of trapped there, you know, and it's very subtle how he does it. But I feel like that if you compare the beginning to, to how it progresses. Well, like, and then even look at the locations, like Brennan Gleason faces the sea. Mm, yeah. His, his house. And then, uh, Colin Farrell's house. I forget the name. I can't do the Padre. I can't Padre. stay with these. Padre. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. His house is basically hemmed in by all these walls. And the road and everything. And so they're just two different, very different existence. One longs from something more and the other one is happy to be within those boundaries. Yeah. So even like that setting, it was like they, they figure out how to do it well. Yeah. 
And I thought the writing was great. Like it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a wonderful script. Like there, it's one of those movies where there are lines coming out, and you're like, "Ooh, like I want to write that down. Like I could talk about that, right? Like for forever." Like I actually did write. There was one moment where I was like, "Okay, I'm writing this down." It was when Brendan Gleeson was in the confessional booth with the priest. Great, some great scenes in there. And the priest, they're talking about this donkey that's died, and the priest says, "Do you think God gives a damn about miniature donkeys?" And Brendan Gleeson says, I fear that he doesn't, and I fear that's where it's all gone wrong. Oh, mm. you could talk about that for a half an hour. That's like, that's a good line, man. But, that, yeah. but there's lots of it. There's lots of moments like that in the script. I think it's just a really good script. Yeah, and there's always, it seems like there's depressed suicidal characters in all these films, too. That's true. Yeah, I, I think that that might show us something. And like there's existential angst going on. And like, does any of this matter? And can I try, no matter what I do as far as whatever the characters do, is anything going to really matter? So mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought a lot about the, um, would it be better to like be ignorant and don't produce anything that would be of consequence yet have connection to people in our ignorant state? Because I feel like that's me most of the time. Mm-hmm. Or would it be better to produce something that might have a chance of being like notable a hundred years later, but cut yourself off from people. I mean, that's like probably a false dichotomy that's, that's being created in there. But like, I, I do think that's a question I think we ask like, where do we, you know, does being nice matter? I think this, this asks. Yeah. That's my favorite scene in the movie when uh, Patrick is drunk and he's railing against Brendan Gleeson and, and he's just like, you know, he's like defending niceness. I think he even calls it that niceness. I love that. And, you know, Brendan Gleeson says, you know, it, your niceness means nothing. Like it's, it's, you know, that's pleasant for now, but like no one will remember it. And you know what will last? Music. Mozart Patrick doesn't even know who Mozart is but like yeah but like and you see both sides of that you see you want to believe that you know it's like it's like Patrick's like his whole life depends on winning that argument because he feels like he's absolutely worthless if Brendan Gleeson is right but you want to believe that being kind being good actually does matter that it does have eternal implications but you also see Brendan Gleeson's point which is like at the end of the day Maybe, you know, music does last centuries as compared to someone's quote unquote personality. I don't know. It's a good argument. It's a really good scene in the movie. What, one of the uh, reviews said that all these films are about male isolation and loneliness. Hmm. So all like not just this film, but like every single one of these films is about male isolation and how do we try to deal with the, that isolation? And so, oh, you're isolated. So you're going to go go hang out with a bunch of buddies and drink, right? That's one way to deal with your isolation. The other one is, oh, you're isolated, so you're going to hyper-isolate and create something, mm-hmm. which is, like, pretty typical. And But I don't know if any one of those is, like, really... If either one is healthy. It's like we're, we're on two different extremes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, is it really going to, like, take away any kind of sense of isolation in the current situation here? I don't know. I was wondering when he wrote it, and I should have, you know, researched this if he, if the pandemic had all like influenced his inspiration for the script or not, because it feels like there are some implications there in our connections with people and the isolation and stuff. Hmm. Those are good themes. But yeah, I think it's overall really well written, really well directed, really good pacing. Like, I think that he, you know, all movies should do this. So, what I'm saying is going to sound like obvious, but like, from that moment where you have that first inciting incident, like we are just drawn in and every scene feels like it flows perfectly onto the next one. And there's no like dead moments where we start getting bored. It just feels like it flows 
very well as a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Martin McDonough. And there is, of course, like we've alluded to, a tonal shift right in the movie. And that is where, yeah, I think my mom would reach a point where she's driving with this. And then all of a sudden is like, oh, uh, I don't know about this anymore, you know. But now, I, so I don't know. I think that is going to be the thing that divides viewers. Personally, I think it's absolutely necessary, that dark tone that the movie takes, because I think that that's what actually drives home the main themes of the movie. Because like when you're talking about division, you're talking about how like, like it always starts off as this very small thing, right? Like anytime you've thought, ever had some major problem with someone, it always starts off as like, why did he say it like that? Or why did that happen? And then it can escalate and escalate until you get to this point where you don't even remember how it started and you're just permanently at odds. I mean, yeah. But don't you think like both these characters, because at first I was like, why is Brendan Gleeson's character choosing isolation? Mm-hmm. And then I realized that the Colin Farrell character is also choosing isolation over and over again. How do you mean? Interesting. Because in the end, his sister, he's like, oh, I wish you hadn't left. or wish, But he could have been with her. Like He had every opportunity to, to go be with her. Yeah. And he chose isolation. He chose to bring all the farm animals into his house and live with the animals instead of being with his own sister who was hoping that he would leave. And instead of making new connections, perhaps, or forging outside of his friendship with Calm, he just keeps relentlessly going back to a dead well that has no place for him anymore, right? So, yeah, he's like he's purposely choosing isolation. Right. And then going to somebody who doesn't want him when somebody that does want him is right there. Yeah. Or is saying, hey, let's go. I'll, I'll support you. I'll, I'll take care of you. You know, everything. But he chooses not to have that. And, and then also he does in some ways is choosing to harm his friend, even though his friend is making the choices he's choosing mm-hmm. to harm his friend over and over again, rather than not be with his friend. And that's a weird choice. That's the thing that really grabbed me in the film. Do we choose to be with people because we want to be with them so badly that even though it's harming them or maybe they're harming themselves with having us around, yeah. which is a hard, that's a hard idea, but I think that can be, that can be a real idea. How many of our relationships are really more about us than that person, right? Yeah. I think yeah. even in motivation, but also like, you know, what's the result, what's happening here? Yeah. Are we, is that, is that relationship destructive? And, you know, in this one, it's like, first I'm like, it's all Gleason's fault. He's a nut. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a simplified version. They're like, oh, wait a minute. These guys are both v- actually very similar people. Yeah, it's like the definition of a toxic friendship in the end. And uh, and I think for those of us who have been in those in the past, it's easy to, to just keep going and going and hoping that it'll get better. But at some point, the film tells you what happens if you don't. Do you? What do you, do you think about that tonal shift? Do you think that that is jarring or that it's necessary? Like, what side do you land on that? I think it's necessary. I mean, what else? What are we watching then? Just like, you know... Are we just watching a nice Irish folktale or something that That's has no it. point? We got to have the tonal shift. This isn't like Darby O'Gill and the little people. I mean, we got to, we got to have a tonal shift. Yeah. And so if it's going to be something more than just a tale of Irish, you know, stereotypes, we have to have something else. <laughs> but I think the war is the background for that, which is yeah. like the Irish civil war. It's not, there were people who were like united. I mean, within, within, in this time period, they were united against the English but then when there was treaties to be held, it basically brother and brotherhood fought against the English together. The same group, they start splintering up and you have in the, yeah, in the, in the 23, 24, 
you have these groups of folks that fought had fought against a common enemy and they're now they're fighting against each other and so they got you know they got some version of home rule and then they immediately fought each other and you see that like a microcosm of that within the characters here now i don't think that's the point of the movie but i think that backdrop goes oh what we're seeing here is universal which is choosing to try to re-engage somebody could be really damaging so even like in the war right we got to a certain place together. Now we're making these choices to try to re-engage, but that's just harming the other person for whatever reason, or they're harming themselves. So sometimes it's time to walk away. Right. Remind me of recovery a lot, which one of the principles, when you make amends, you're supposed to make amends only if it's going to do no harm to that further harm to the person. Yeah. And there's a point at which you go, Nope. You have to make that choice. This is going to do further harm if I try to re-engage this. Mm-hmm. It's almost better to leave some things in the past, right? Yeah. Or just acknowledge that like, hey, no amount of effort is going to undo something or it's going to make a situation right. And at some point we have to live with that. So that's, you know, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. So I'm not going to go back to this person I deeply wounded because I will wound, re-wound them likely and by even going back to them. And so the idea of doing harm to them is, is against the, would be against the principle, even if you're trying to make amends. So, and that's, that's a hard one. That's one of the hardest ones. And so when, when to not go back and it's deeply unsatisfying because usually in recovery, you're asking for forgiveness. So you might have to sit there and not have forgiveness or not have resolution. And then you accept the pain and the suffering. And most of the time that you've created or the situations create or whatever, however it goes, I'm speaking very vague, but I think a lot of folks know what I'm talking about and for their own particular context. And I think that's hard. I think sitting in the pain is very difficult. And so when we choose to do no, when we choose not to harm others, even though we have a deep emotional need to have some kind of peace in the midst of all that. All right, let's move on to acting. So Colin Farrell, man, my goodness. Is this Colin Farrell's best performance, Tim? I think it is. Hmm. I can't think of another, a better performance. I mean, and what else has he done? If you think about it. So like, I mean, there's Minority Report. I don't know why that's the first thing that comes to my head, Minority huh. Report, but he was in that. Remember that? That's an underrated that's Spielberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good movie. It's, it's a, really a good, good movie. movie. What else? He was in The Lobster, which I absolutely hated that film. I love the lobster. Movie? You love the lobster. I know you did. I hated it. I thought he was good in the lobster. <laughs> He's funny. I don't know. I like pretty much all the stuff he's in. He's like all eyebrows for me. <laughs> all eyebrows. <laughs> you know what eyebrows. he was really good in? Speaking of TV, he was in season two of True Detective. Have you ever watched True Detective? On no. HBO? So good. It's basically every new season is like a new case and these detectives are working on it. And he was in season two, which is like the ugly duckling of the series because you there's been three seasons so far. Everyone loved the first one. Everyone loved the third one. The second one is polarized. Like either love it or you hate it. I thought it was great. And Colin Farrell has this amazing character arc in that show in season two where he's like uh has a relationship with his son who's kind of like obese and like does not fit in at school he gets bullied and and Colin Farrell plays this like tough guy whatever and so he's trying to teach his kid like you got to stand up for yourself but at the but the kid's just like defeated and at the same time he just wants to love him and it's heartbreaking like it it it's a it's an arc that brought me to tears in the end so if you've not seen that huh. that is my favorite Colin Farrell performance until this one but he was so good in this and 
and I just I think he's perfectly cast. Like I just and I really related to his character. I mean, we've already talked about my favorite scene with the whole niceness speech, and like I relate to that because I don't know, man. Like I le- I want to be known as a nice person as well, and I want to believe that that means something. And there have been times in the past where I feel like I have been passed over for more more interesting maybe rule breaking people who aren't afraid to you know crack a few eggs or whatever and i feel like niceness can sometimes get a bad rap as being dull as being uh boring but i think there's value to it i want to believe just like patrick that there's value to it i like totally like my innermost child is like totally related to that seed of just being drunk with a beer in my hand going it does matter being nice does matter (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's interesting because i don't think that any of us i mean we're all connected right so i think the way that this kind of gets to the heart of the way i think especially white guys think which is that we're not all related like oh i've got to create this great symphony or something Mm -hmm. but in reality like a lot of our time has to go to making relationships and maintaining relationships absolutely because we're not we don't exist we're not an island even though you know, in a Sheeran as a fictional island, but we're we're not alone in the universe. And to pretend that like like and to create a dichotomy where it's either my work or other human beings, or and if they don't have anything to do with my work, then I don't have anything to do with them. That that doesn't seem to be like a reflection of reality. It's somebody's construct already. And so to me, it's like no, we're we're connected beings. We're not. We don't. Nobody can exist without someone else. And those connections enhance your art. They enhance your work. They make it richer. Right. Well, maybe not. I don't think in every case, I think there's another, there's the the other side to be made, which is like, you know, who we hang out with a lot of times is going to influence who we become. Hmm. So as we're looking at like, where do we spend our time? If we're spending our time at the bar, just, you know, talking about our horse shit, which is literally what they're talking about. That's who we'll become or that's who, you know, versus like, I think that that has a lot to do with like, who, who are we spending time with? And it's not like condemning one group of people or saying these people are bad people or anything. It's just saying like, what's, what's your level of discourse? But I don't think that the, I don't believe that Gleason's character is trying to like elevate discourse. He's just being selfish. Yeah. He doesn't care. He's like, well, I can't, I'm not going to drag you along. Yeah. You're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you over here. I don't think it's a false argument. He has a a high level of strength, like, which is surround yourself with people that you want to, you know, if you're, if you're pursuing something like fiddle tunes or whatever, but at the same time, that relationship is the very thing that destroys his fiddle tunes. Right, exactly. So, so yeah, so he, he does it for this for this reason, to make music, and then by the end of the movie, uh, spoiler alert, he can't even make music anymore. He, he's he's like got a bloody stump for a hand. his fiddle around other actual musicians by the end, and it's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what have you done? Yeah. For all of his fervor, he's like just a very depressed person. And it's like he wanted to cut his fingers off. He just needed, yeah. he just created a reason. He's like, no, you're going to make the choice to let me do this. That's so true. You totally see that in his character. Yeah, that like he was determined from the jump almost. The other part of it, and this is part of male isolation, right? If if his fingers get cut off, he can't. There's no pressure for him to create the greatest fill tune ever. Ah, and yeah. so he doesn't have to anymore because he cut all his fingers off because this one guy. You can blame it on him. Yeah. Yeah. It's him. He wouldn't leave me alone. And I threatened and I had to follow through in reality. It's like, as soon as he cuts all his fingers off, he has, there's no pressure on him from himself or anyone else to be great. It's over. 
So it doesn't have to be great anymore. How often do we do that? Do all of us do that to an extent, right? To varying degrees. That hits home. Some human being stuff, yeah. But yeah, Brendan Gleeson's great. I can't imagine anyone else in that role. He's always good and uh, another perfectly cast part. You know, another big standout for me acting-wise was Barry Keegan, who played Dominic. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. Eerie. Yeah, right. He, you know, he's been in, in a few things. The one, if you're, if you're completely unfamiliar with him, I would recommend you check out a movie called American Animals, which is really good. It came out in 2018. Like no one's ever heard of it. No one's seen it. And someone recommended it to me and it was so good that I ended up showing it to like two other people. You should watch it. It is basically a true story about these college students who decide to do a heist and, and break into their school library to steal these very like priceless artifacts of art and then try to sell them on the black market and it totally goes wrong and it mixes documentary footage with like fake documentary footage with like an actual like movie and it's really good and barry keegan is the lead in that and And it's it's called american animals american animals it's like the movie no one's ever heard of that is really really good i promise how do i watch it just like (laughs) you can stream it it's it's somewhere it's it's on i think it's for free on one of the streaming devices or you could rent it for like three bucks on amazon so what did you think of him so I thought he was great because I think Dominic's character is super important because it represents another him and his romantic thing that he has with Siobhan, which is Patrick's sister. I think represents another form of division that's a little harder. Like we can look at the friendship between Brendan Gleeson and Patrick. We can say, okay, who's at fault, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to someone is attracted to someone else, someone wants to be in a relationship with someone else and the other person just isn't feeling it, that also creates division that can lead to very like violent, awful results. But it's difficult to blame someone for that because, you know, some you don't, we're not obligated to love everyone. We're not obligated to be in a relationship with everyone you know and i think that's it's a very interesting dynamic that kind of is like a subplot that adds another layer to it so like wouldn't the like classic romance thing would be i mean i'm thinking i like what you're saying it's really interesting to me but wouldn't the classic like romance thing be like i'm gonna cut my ear off and i'll send it to you like the van gogh kind of like right <laughs> i don't think that's romantic i think that's hollywood's version of romance which actually in real life is stalker mental awful. illness yeah. right yeah okay but but the idea being like it shows like some extreme passion for somebody yeah or the idea of somebody who would refuse to get out of a relationship even after somebody set a boundary and they just keep pursuing keep pursuing keep pursuing like that's typical of a romantic relationship so like i'm looking at the two main characters in this and saying oh if that was a man and a woman we would have room for that in our framework mm-hmm. we'd be like oh okay all right i got it so like for instance if gleason was a woman and they were romantic and Farrell's romantically interested and gleason's like if you keep pursuing me i'm going to cut off my fingers that would actually make more sense to us right sure yeah strange that that would make more sense to us because it's, it's not very different it's a very common tale of like one person's really into the relationship one isn't the ex can't let it go we're very used to that but when it comes to a platonic male friendship that's what makes it unique and interesting but why is that different right exactly why can't we handle that yeah (laughs) right yeah there's something about our idea of maleness right so that like to be male is to uh to be oh well that you know there would that we have something that would be so logical or without love or something but like without passion so that a male relationship couldn't have passion to it which i think is very interesting and i don't mean sexual passion i mean just like yeah like a desire for to to be with each other right and that's something that i feel like is very 
it's maybe gotten better in the la- in in modern times, but I feel like there is still this stigma around male friendships where like I heard Trevor Noah talk about this, about how like, you know, when it comes to I forget what the context was, but it was something like that men so often just are lacking in intimacy and they and that and that manifests itself in weird extreme ways when in reality they just want to be held and they just want to be, you know, they want to share these intimate connections with people, but they don't know how to do it because I feel like, you know, his point was that like, it's weird and it shouldn't be, but it's weird to walk up to a man and just be like, I need a hug, man, or something like that, right? Like that, then it's sort of like, oh, don't be gay. But it's like, but and I think we've come a long way from like when I was in high school about that stuff. But like still, I think there's a little bit of that out there. Well, and then in other countries, like looking at how men would greet each other with a kiss or or, or anything like that. I think the like level of intimacy, right? So that we have to like, there there is this cultural, I'm speaking of a white dudes in a, Western context, there is this like cultural pressure to be isolated as part of our sexuality's isolation. Yeah. And I think that often manifests because the men aren't getting that from the like there's their male friendships, then it becomes kind of pathological when it comes to women sometimes because there's like this desperation that, you know. And then the two characters get their intimacy needs met by animals. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Brendan Gleeson's dog and then Colin Farrell's donkey. Yeah, right. Because those are acceptable because he's a farmer, you know, and he's a, got a dog and that's acceptable. So that the physical, like one, I mean, there's cases where both of those guys are constantly holding an animal because yeah. it's okay. Like in that context, oh, I can hold an animal in this context. It's okay to have the donkey come hang out. I'm feeling sad. I need to have the donkey here. Right. <laughs> you have the animals in the kitchen. Siobhan's like, what are you doing? And then, yeah, Brennan Gleeson dances with the dog. Like yeah. picks the dog up and he's, de- uh, he's dancing like deeply, like loving on that dog, hugging that dog and dancing with it. So the, that there's these intimacy needs and then yet rejecting other men. Very weird. Man. That is weird, and it's weird too how like Brendan Gleeson's character it does not feel bad about rejecting him, but the minute that the donkey you know comes into play and everything, then he instantly goes, "Oh yeah, like I've crossed the line," or like you know, like he like that rattles him. But it's like, why did would an animal mean you know like rattle your cage more than what you're doing to another human being? It's strange. It's where they've placed their intimacy because they don't have anywhere to put it. I mean, that makes sense to me. So like, okay, so you can burn my house down and think I'm in it, but you, you made sure my dog didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like with the last line, thanks for, uh, thanks for looking after my dog or whatever. Right. Any, any time. <laughs> he like just burned his house down and he thought he was in it like homicidal. Yeah. And, and he's like, okay. And then the only thing that moved Gleason was that the donkey choked on one of his fingers. Yeah. Like that was totally emotionally moving to him. to him. Yeah, I know. Right. So they have this like, you know, misplaced affection for these animals. Not that, I mean, I think we all agree animals no, are yeah, wonderful. It's not misplaced, but I feel like we're not getting it from the proper sources is what you're saying. Yeah. Or like his sister, right? The, the donkey means more than his sister. I needed the donkey in here. And you're like, that's your sister, dude. Come on. Like this is the human being that cares for you most in the world. <laughs> So I think that's really what we're looking at. It's like in the film, I think that that might've been Peter Travers that brought that up, but the idea of this isolated male that lives in quiet desperation and he's placing his, all of the need for intimacy onto something that won't necessarily meet that. Yeah. And then going to war against each other. 
Right. Yeah. Not only is there is he not getting it from that relationship, but he's actively making, you know, harming himself, the other person, the whole community ends up kind of being harmed in the end. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, all right, let's dive into a little more of the themes here. So, like, we've already touched on quite a few of them. I, I mean, it's the whole idea of, like, division, right? The division we create in each other, the division that's kind of like, I feel like, you know, from a you know, a, a faith perspective, if we are correct, or if we believe what Christ said, that it all comes down to loving God and loving your neighbor, then I feel like the opposite of that is anything that divides us from God and from our neighbor. And so I feel like you could say that division is sort of the root of all that is wrong in the world. All, all sin kind of comes from that divided stance between God and other people. And so I think that's interesting. And I think it's something we all experience every day we ex- we've, i think we experience both perspectives we experience what it's like to want someone who doesn't want us back and i think all of us at one time have experienced the opposite of someone who wanted us and we didn't want them have you would you say that you've experienced both of those angles wanting someone yeah. who doesn't want you back and then someone wanting you that you just could not return that's that. human it's human it's right that's human that's right. There was even a poll I read in a book once that was like, it was like 93% of college students had been in a situation where they wanted someone who couldn't love them back. And 90, it was like 95% had been in the opposite situation. So I think it's a very common experience. I think everyone can point to a time in there. I mean, I still remember, it's a true story. I remember in youth group, I was in a car with was like 16 and this girl professed her that she liked me. And I just did not feel attracted to her. I didn't have any feelings for her. And I just had to be like, I'm sorry. I don't feel the same way. And I didn't think mm-hmm. anything of that. And I don't know how she, you know, what kind of mark that left on her, or how she processed that afterwards. But I think that's something that is difficult. And again, going back to like, you know, Siobhan and Dominic, what do you do with that? We, we certainly there's we're just not obligated to love everyone but how do you when that leaves such a mark on someone god that scene with dominic where he's just like you know he's trying to make this attempt to her and she lets him down and he's like oh yeah no problem no problem and he acts like it's fine and then he says that line where he's like there goes that dream or something like that it's so like devastating you know yeah mm-hmm. that's hard so what do you do with that? I don't know. Some of these problems feel unsolvable, is I guess what I'm trying to say. I don't know. I think like there's so like Dominic should have had the connection with his father to have give him more courage, right? That's such a good point. And there's another form of division between parents. Yeah, exactly. But his father's beating the hell out of him. Yep. And so he's trying to find love somewhere. So he goes to like a middle aged woman who's like not even close I mean, they're not even close in age. And he wants her to love him. And she's like, No. This isn't like, you're not, you know, it's just like totally inconceivable for her, which is pretty realistic. And he can't handle that. It's like the last straw for him. But he also functions. So he functions in that. That's what you picked up on. The other part I, that I was picking up on is he functions as the friend that the audience can go, don't waste your time hanging with this guy. He's a waste of time. Yeah. But is he? I mean, like, I know that's the stigma. I know he's like the village idiot, but like, is he really worthless? So he, he's a moral indicator. Like he sees like, are people loving each other or not? Right. So he does that. But I think he's, he's a person that you're like, wow, he just says so many stupid things to everyone he's around. He's like, there's no wonder people want to beat him up all the time. Yeah. He's the guy that like in a group of people is always going to be, he's just always going to say something offensive or dumb. And we have folks like that in our lives. And we usually what ends up happening is they get isolated because 
people don't invite him to something. Nobody wants to have a pint at the pub with them. So they don't get any of that. And I'm not saying it's up to everyone to invite them to things, but usually it's because there's some kind of deep need they have that uh, maybe didn't get met by dad or mom or whatever. Yeah. And so we see that character, but the response to him is repulsion. Like, oh, this guy's wasted. Go, go be with your real friend. Your real friend's the violin player. And then realizing that, no, no, this guy is Dominic to the violin player, too. Ah! Mm, yes. <laughs> He brings us into it. It's kind of brilliant because I, at least I felt disdain for Dominic. Yeah. But I don't know. Like part of me wants to be like, Dominic's a way better friend than Brendan Gleeson's character. And maybe there's something that could be cultivated there that, I mean, I know I get it. Dominic is like, you know, the outcast and he is kind of dull and, but, but see, I think that gets back to like where this all starts. Like where does all this division start? And I feel like that it's the value judgments that we place on people, right? It's like, I'm reading this book by Marshall Rosenberg. You probably read it too. Everyone's read it. It's called, um, nonviolent communication. You, you've sure. read that, right? Yeah. And, and it's so good. I mean, it's like, it's just saying that basically it all, this all begins when we, someone behaves a certain way we don't appreciate it or it doesn't accord with our values. And instead of like just observing that behavior, we instantly form a judgment on it. We're like, you cut me off in traffic. So you're dumb. Instead of just observing that he, the person cut me off in traffic and maybe being curious as to why that happened and what kind of day was that person having, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. I, I think he would say like, how do I feel? How do I feel? Yeah. And then, right. and then you would, then you would put to point to your tapes. So like, I felt hurt when that person did that. Okay, why? Mm-hmm. So you go you first you look at you. Right. You know, that's that's looking at how we communicate and, and he did it in schools, right? Yeah. Initially. Yeah. Rosenberg. And then going from our feelings to okay, so get down to like why did okay, what what did that spark? What's going on? And usually it's like the tip of some iceberg that has nothing to do with the actual interaction. That's pretty yes. typical. Or yeah, sometimes person. it does right. have some right. Sometimes it does, and then you go, Okay, well what is the need that this is addressing? And then Rosenberg will go into all the needs. And then are you able to communicate that need and that feeling and then connect it to the need and make a request? So that's, that's the Rosenberg thing. So I felt hurt when, when, when this happens, I feel hurt or when, when you yell loudly, I feel scared and I'm not able to hear what you're saying. Instead of assigning like a summary judgment of that person, you're such a, you're such a jerk. That (laughs) would be more typical, right? You're such a jerk. Right. So I wonder what would be the nonviolent communicative way that calm could have expressed himself to to Patrick, you know, because basically he instantly jumps to you're a doll, you're dumb, you're not worth my time, right? Which is, I think, where the, the crux of the conflict begins. But to the priest, he says, despair. He said, are you still feeling despair? Yeah. So what he's really feeling is despair. He's like, I feel despair. So he's trying to create, like, create something worthwhile to get out of the despair. And there's a fear, I think, in him that his life... He's reaching the end of his life. What has he accomplished? What has he done? Which has nothing to do, by the way, with Patrick, but he's placing it all on him, which is what we do. And that's how it's, that happens, right? It's like fear, angst, whatever you want to go with. So, but the idea is that he would identify how he feels and then, yeah, that's communication. Anyway, sorry, you got me on a tangent because it's, but it's a good tangent. I'm just trying to figure out how does this escalate and how do we stop it from escalating? I feel like that's where it starts is identifying 
the needs and what's being triggered instead of just rushing to a conclusion and a narrative that often doesn't actually have to do with the other person. And it's tough, man. I felt for Patrick because like I've been in that situation. Like I had a relationship the summer after my senior year of high school and I was really into this girl and she was really into me and we had this magical whatever how many months and then like it was like a light switch went off and then overnight she just stopped being interested and then I found out there was another guy involved and blah 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 blah. I'm sure many people have experienced this sure and what I remember is I remember the desperation because it's different than a normal breakup and this would apply to this friendship too. It's different than a normal breakup where you're like, oh yeah, we're just no longer compatible and we both mutually agree that maybe it's time to part ways. When one person does it, but nothing has changed with the other person, you feel desperate. You feel confused. You feel hurt. You feel betrayed. Hmm. And I remember that dark place that I was in at that time. Thankfully, like I had a moral center, so I didn't act on it, but I got to the place of some pretty dark fantasies of like, you know, confrontations and stalking and stuff like that. And I can see how it gets to that point. Yeah. And I mean, you, and this happens all the time. You could Google, you know, guy murders X and you'll come up with like a million results. And this is how it gets to that point. And so I guess I'm just saying I identified with where he was coming from. Yeah. I think a lot of people do. I also would, would say like, there is a certain level of, and I think this is where we look at Christ and, and if somebody says... I don't think you're worthwhile or you're not even worth being with at all. Like friendship, romantic, whatever. I think as we are more and more rooted in Christ and we're more and more rooted in other community, that's not just that person. So like, what if, you know, the character had a bunch of friends? Yeah. I think as we're more and more rooted in that, we tend to look at our value as not being dependent upon someone else's acceptance of us. That's it. Yeah. And it can hurt it can feel confusing if somebody decides to just take off. But I do feel like it doesn't necessarily, as we get older, hopefully it doesn't become indicative of if we're valuable or not, because we already have that established in some other places. If we have a proper love and respect for ourselves, we should have a foundation that our worth is not dependent on anyone's approval or disapproval of us, right? That's the place we should get to. if they decide to cut their fingers off because they don't want to be near us, <laughs> right. we, could, we could be like... Man, I wish you wouldn't do that. Okay, I know I'm good. And I think he, the character does have a little bit of that. That's the speech that we hear in the pub. When he gives that speech, I think that is a little bit of like, hey, I'm good enough. But then he goes back to trying to connect with the dude. And I think the way out of it, when you start thinking about what are the solutions to like the divisions, I think it's just really hard. I think like you can know cognitively what you just said, which is apt. I think anyone would agree with. But putting that into action when it happens to you... Yeah, Very put in your heart, right? Very difficult. Head to heart. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm literally on chapter four of this nonviolent communication book, and I'm trying to apply the principles. And then my son comes home with this, like, report card that has some problems. And I'm so, like, the more I wake up and I just launch into this big thing. And I think later, I didn't apply any of the principles of this book that I'm reading. And then I had to go apologize. And it's just hard. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard because usually what you're feeling is fear, right? That's it. Always. It always is what I'm afraid of, especially as a six on the Enneagram, which I don't want to get down the rabbit hole. But yeah, it's always what am I afraid of? That's the the source of everything I do that I don't Mm -hmm. like. Yeah. So I think that's one of the solutions is like, you know, is sort of catching it before it gets out. If we actually could, you know, stop ourselves and evaluate stuff. But then I also would say that I think there are some things that cannot be remedied. Like in this instance, I think the right thing for Patrick to do would be to leave Leave Brendan Gleeson alone and just understand that that relationship can't be repaired. 
in this life. And I think that we've all experienced relationships like that. That's like, yeah, we, one of us, we, we have to walk away and that sucks and it hurts, but that's it. And there's nothing that can be done. And so I don't know. I feel like the other solution, which I've talked about before and I, I do believe in is like, sometimes you just have to entrust that we can't mend this one on this side of the dirt, but hopefully somehow in some cosmic sense, there'll be another day. There'll be another day beyond this where maybe we can reconcile and things can be made right again. Yeah. And, and I think the hardest thing, and this gets into Cal Sarris reminds me of this, the Norman McLean quote about, uh, you know, we see others, we want to give them something to fix them, but we don't know how to fix them. And we, a lot of times we'll spend all this time trying to do that. Yeah. And, and that'll end up actually destroying us. Mm. And it's not saying don't act. It's saying, don't keep going back and back and back and back and back and back while it's destroying people because in the, in the act of that you get destroyed. So I think it's a boundary thing. So I think this film is definitely affirming boundaries, but not isolation. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the final shot of the movie where, you know, you have that ghoulish woman. They even, I think they call her the ghoul or whatever. And the final shot of the movie is uh, Patrick walks away from, calm and she's right in the middle this dark figure is just right in the middle of them mm. and that's how the movie ends well right before that last shot of the of the rocks like the beginning and so to me that was like the symbol of like that's it that's what needs to be defeated that's our hope that that that, that dark presence that divides all of us will be defeated someday and i i feel like that's kind of the what that point was driving home but i could be wrong all right tim that's a wrap what are your final thoughts on the banshees of inishirin Go for it. Okay. I give it an A. A solid A. Good job on its report card. And I would uh, encourage folks, if they'd like to see it, if they want to discuss it, great. But you'll probably just go back to your place and hang out with your animals. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Slowly cut your fingers off if anyone tries to reach out. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Throw them at the door of your only friend in the world that's not a dog. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I, I think they're good. Check out these. All, I'd say check out some of these other works. Uh, violent. All these are violent films. So yeah. be prepared for that. If you don't like gore, violence, shocking stuff like that, headshots. Who likes a headshot? It always makes me feel a little ill. Yeah. Don't watch these films. This is a good film. It has it's, But it's definitely uh, yeah, it's shocking. I would yeah. put it that way. It's very shocking. But it's a good film. And it's a, it, it really is a conversation slash think piece. You know, it's really good. 100%. I'm with you. I loved it. Yeah, it was just nice going to the theater again, seeing a great movie, and, and one that, yeah, you come back from it, and you're like, I want to talk about this with someone. And I was, like, mm-hmm. really excited to talk about this with you. And I feel like that this movie, if any movie can spark conversation, it's going to be it's gonna be a movie like this. And I think it reminded me of just the power of film, because I'm like, you know, I always joke about being this TV guy, but I think there's something to be said for a great movie that can tell a great story in two hours as compared to like 13. I think there's something about that. That's that it, that can, that if it's done right, can actually surpass in its conciseness. Can, I think it still can be the superior art form movies. So, Ooh, yeah, I'll say that in its best form. So, but anyway, Bravo to Martin McDonough. As I said before, I like hated everything he's done, but I love this movie. I also give it a straight a, and it is my first, 
solid A of the year. So there are you it picking is. this for best picture? I don't think they'll ever. <laughs> I let haven't it be. seen enough movies yet. I mean, maybe like uh, we'll see what happens, but I think we've still got quite a few more to see before we can make that conclusion. But right now, it's the best movie I've seen this year. It's good. I saw the uh, World War One. German movie, all yes. all quiet on the Western Front, or all is quiet in the Western Front, and it's good, right? Yes, it's another anti-war war movie. Yeah, I've uh, heard it's good as yeah. well. Check that out, and that's a foreign film from where? Germany, Germany. Yeah, it's their entry for uh, best foreign film. Gotcha. This year, cool. There you go. Check that out as well. Yeah, we contemplated doing that, but I feel like our we decided our listeners might have had enough with the uh, love war. your enemies spiel. I think we've. <laughs> <laughs> run that one into the ground <laughs> yeah let's forget that let's just let's go away from that that the greatest commandment <laughs> no, no not that like if we don't believe it it's just like how many times can you can you reassert the same the same truth but yeah so it's anyway right. check Jesus it out all quiet on the... it's the greatest commandment that's all right. we just we don't need to talk about that all, all right. right all right <laughs> anyway the movie is the banshees of inishirin it should still be playing in a theater near you it opened wide a couple weeks ago if it's not It'll be on streaming in like, you know, 30 seconds. So check it out. Get a big TV. Get a big TV. Pay the $20. It's just as much as you pay going out to the theater and watch this movie. It's really worth watching and talking about. And as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts. The email address is podcast at cinemafaith.com. Podcast at cinemafaith.com. Tell us what you think. We'll talk about it. We'll read your stuff on the air. We've done it before. We'll do it again. And Tim, we're ready for more, man. We're in the thick of Oscar season. We're, you're going back to that theater next month. And uh, I'm telling you, I don't know what yet, but with there, there is so much to choose from. We are finally in a uh, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to film. So we will find a movie and we will be back at it next month. I'm excited. This is going to be great. Keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.